MassFly's total recruitment marketing platform and services proactively market an employer brand and jobs through every recruiting channel. It uses marketing automation technology and modern marketing practices. It empowers companies to attract the right people to their organization using the art and science of fit. It enables companies to generate leads and nurture relationships to hire faster and more cost-effectively. Smashfly's open API allows for integration with all major ATSs, job boards, and third-party recruiting tools. The platform can scale to meet the complex needs of global enterprise organizations. Visit blog.smashfly.com to get great content on recruitment marketing strategy and practices. Good morning and welcome to HR Examiner's Big Ideas. Today we're going to be talking with Lori Rudiman, who I believe if you've been awake anywhere in the last decade, you've run across Lori and her work. She is a lightning rod for new ideas and experiments inside of the world of HR and HR technology. And these days she's fronting a startup um, and full of her general um, wisdom. So good morning, Lori. How are you? Good morning, John. I'm great. Thanks for having me. How are you? Uh, I am on top of the world. I am having a great, great time. Would you take a moment and just, uh, for the people who don't know who you are, take a moment and introduce yourself. Oh, my gosh. Well, this is my shot to be narcissistic, so thank you for it. I appreciate that. Um, hello, everybody. Good morning. I'm Lori Rudiman, uh, writer, speaker, weird entrepreneur, and uh, just general shit disturber in the human resources industry. I'm currently uh, the founder and CEO of a company called Glitch Path, and we've created a platform to help companies and teams make better decisions. Our first offering is an online pre-mortem. So, John, you know what a post-mortem is, right? Like an autopsy? Right. We, uh, yeah, we're asking teams to do an autopsy on the body that is their project before the project is even started and to figure out why the project died. So that's our so, first offering in the space. Yeah, I'm excited. So that's a what could go wrong session. How does a, how does a pre-mortem work? Yeah, it's not what could go wrong, not what might go wrong, because those are all like cognitive experiments that make you feel safe. This is what will go wrong. So we've created a platform where a project manager, formal or informal, lists a project and kicks off a session by brainstorming and anonymously saying what he or she thinks will go wrong. And then the team does the same thing all on you know their desktop or their mobile device. And then through some natural language processing, we try to figure out what are the major themes, what's going wrong, you know, what kind of categories of risk are emerging, what are the blind spots. And then from there, we give the team a failure report, which is really just an assessment on risk, what will go wrong based on all the individual feedback. And I like it because the platform removes hierarchy, it masks people's contributions in as much as any assessment can, and really provides a landscape of insights that you wouldn't necessarily get face-to-face because you have, you know, fear, you have disengagement, you have bias. So in as much as we can, we're trying to remove all that and give people some insight before they enter a project into Basecamp, Trello, Asana, Slack, and, you know, just help teams collaborate in a new way. So, so far, it's going really well. And the whole thing takes 90 seconds, by the way, if you do it right. So, yeah. 
that's that's really interesting. So I think it was I think it was Mark Twain who said something like, "It's not the things that you don't know that kill you; it's the things that you're sure you do know." Um, so so do you ha- do you have a a method inside of of your project or, or this emerging company for figuring out the things that you're sure won't fail? Yeah, I mean, that's part of the implicit question of how will this fail? And so from there, there are a lot of different ways that you can use your failure reports, either through a mediation session, a constructive dialogue. Uh, We're working on a recommendations engine right now to really get to the heart of challenging people on their assumptions. But one of the things that I have found is that especially, you know, certain teams are primed to do this better than others. But once teams get going and really de-escalate failure and remove the shame, what they end up doing is laughing. It's like, oh, yeah, remember that one time we made a logo and it was ugly? Remember that one client? And you start to build on this feeling of goodwill that everybody wants the thing they're doing to succeed. And so they're willing to get a little bit uh, fun about it and a little bit vulnerable and talk about failure in a new way. So it's not the software that's interesting. It's the mechanism that drives the conversation that's interesting. So, you know, I'm not sure if what we're creating today looks like what we deliver commercially in six months or a year, but I think we're, we're on the right path. I feel good about it. So, so this sounds like, um, um, like you're headed in the opposite direction of the emerging conventional wisdom that says you need to fail more. Um, well, yeah, I hate that. I hate that a lot because we tend to fail in the same ways over and over again. Project management science has borne this out. Psychology has borne this out. I think the Greeks talked about this. I mean, most of us, you know, are driven based on ego and our basic human needs to survive. And we bring all of that baggage into the workplace. So it's great when all of these entrepreneurs are like, fail, fail, fail. But if you're failing in the same 25 ways over and over again, maybe stop failing that way and fail in a new and more interesting way. Like, let's still keep the bar low, John. You know, we're human after all. But um if you're failing based on your own stupid ego over and over again or addiction or just shit that you bring from home into the workforce, that's not healthy. That's toxic. And let's get over that. What, what, what an interesting thing. So this puts you, this is, this is, as I understand it, this is sort of the epitome of HR's view of the world. Is, is, is that fair? No, this is actually the opposite of HR because HR really, the industrial HR complex really relies on people failing in the same stupid ways over and over again so they can offer the same dumb technology products, consulting services, and perpetuate their own existence. What I really believe is that people have the capacity within themselves to solve their own problems with a little bit of prompting and with a little bit of help. And for me, I'm not necessarily interested in solving your failure problems at work, but the way that the world works is that profit is very rarely recognized in its own house. So if your parents tell you something smart or if your siblings or your spouse tells you something smart, you ignore it. But if you hear it at work or from a total stranger, you bring it back into your home. And so it's really my true desire to 
create a more mindful way of living so that you don't need a nanny, you don't need a doctor, you don't need a CEO, you don't need a boss. You have your own good ideas. You stop failing in the same stupid ways. And then people around you start to see you leading by example. And it's not this really um, oppressive way of teaching. It's really a movement. And so truly, that is the opposite of HR, because HR would love you to fail in the same seven ways. So they could do performance reviews, performance management, uh, so people quit their jobs because they're disengaged and a new rec opens. And look, there's a market for recruitment technology and recruitment marketing, right? And it's the same stupid economy that's created over and over again. Instead of freeing us up to think in different ways, that could actually do something useful with emerging technologies like AI, right? And natural language processing. All this stuff could be cool, except you and I are still still fighting about the same things we've been fighting about for the past 50 years. Wow. I just kind of ranted. Thank you. That was was good. That was good. Let's see if we we get another one launched. (laughs) I'm sorry. Say that again. I said, let's see if we get another one launched. That was delicious. (laughs) So narcissistic. No, no, no. Um, So, so when I hear failure, I get the willies. I don't. I don't like that. That that the focus of a lot of contemporary management stuff is so heavily on failure. When what happens is people learn by making mistakes and correcting them. Right. Yeah, right. Uh, right. That's that's the sooner you can declare it a mistake, the sooner you can learn from it. And when you learn from it, you don't do it again. Right. And that's yeah, the that's error true. correction loop that 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 we want to see more of and heavily politicized work environments inhibit that. And and so so it seems to me, although I haven't I haven't seen the product, it seems to me that what you're doing is creating a loop inside of a company that allows you to improve um the error correction rate. Well, I like it. I, you know, we're definitely trying to de-escalate, but I would challenge you that, you know, one of the ways in which people often learn from their mistakes is rooted in this notion that if you're a rat and you get shocked, you're not going to do whatever it is that just shocked you, right? You know, there's a connection in your brain. And at some point that's true, but at some point the rat still wants that sugar, right? The rat still wants that piece of chocolate. And so for me, uh, I don't know how realistic it is to overcome some very basic concepts of failure. But I think if we really kind of you know, I'm going to steal from Cy Wakeman here and we de-escalate and ditch the drama around failure, that's a really good step because it happens and the sooner you consume it, the sooner you can get on to consuming other things at the buffet, right? A little bit of success, a little bit of disappointment, a little bit of heartache. It's all there for you at the buffet of life, right? But if we keep focused on the same stupid pieces of failure, uh, we're never going to move forward as a company, as society, as humanity. So, you know, I mean, there's something to be said about linking this to that error loop and the correction, but, you know, I'm not quite sure it's there. Okay. Um, so, so tell me about a, a prototype project that's, that's, that you've used this methodology and t- let's walk me through what it's like. 
Yeah, yeah. So we've used it on um, a couple of different, we've, we've got quite a few case studies right now, but we've got it on a personal level and we've got it on uh, a marketing level, which I think both might be interesting for your audience. On a personal level, very early on, um, I learned about the pre-mortem from a friend of mine named Chris Ostich, who is former Black Book HR and now part of a company called listener. And I asked him, do you think this idea of a pre-mortem could be software? And he said, well, I don't know, Lori, but if anybody can figure it out, it's you. So I took the idea of a pre-mortem home to my husband, right, which is the proving ground for anybody who's in a heteronormative relationship, right, or really any any kind of relationship. You go to your spouse with an idea, and chances are they're going to give you a good answer. So we use the idea of a pre-mortem on something that we were thinking about. We were thinking about building a new home. So we did it. We thought, what could go wrong? What will go wrong? And we brainstormed for 90 seconds. And we had a conversation between the two of us that we maybe have never had in our marriage. (laughs) It was really evocative. Yeah, around... I can't manage a budget, which, by the way, we're not going to tell any VCs, right? You know, and <laughs> I, um, <laughs> you know, we both have specific design choices and preferences, and there's a lot that goes in with disruption around building a home and how that would be managed. And it was really a moment of like, aha, this could help in a lot of interesting ways. And so as we've very slowly built the software, right, I've not spent a lot of money on design. I'm really thinking about infrastructure. We tested this out with um, people who lead marketing campaigns. And what they have found is that it's not the marketing campaign. It's not the execution of the campaign that goes wrong. It's all of the assumptions that people make on the marketing team that leads to the moment that you push the button and you say, okay, the white paper is live and, you know, the Google AdWords are live and all the things are live now. And all of these little micro failures, these little glitches that lead up to that one decision are the things that doom you to failure. And those individual glitches, all of them can be categorized in one of 11 different ways. Now, there are 10 ways that project management science has really categorized failure and risk. And then we have added in act of God, right? Because there's always like some random stupid thing that happens to teams, to people like someone's basement gets flooded, right? You know, things like that. But it's really interesting. And I would say that out of the 10 categories, it's conflict and really communication that doom everything to failure. So it's it's been really fascinating. So again, it's not the soft, the software is really the moment in which you kick off the discussion, but it's the ensuing discussion that takes place after the experience with the platform that so fascinates me. And it's not that it even has to be moderated by a consultant. Teams are somehow freed up, are disinhibited, are, or are, you know, re-energized to have honest conversations that are generally beaten out of us through the employment experience, right? When politics come in and hierarchies come in, people stop having candid conversations. So GlitchPath is helping with that. I'm really proud of that. So so is that the sort of nutshell of the value proposition, that, that scraping the barnacles off the boat allows you to have candid conversations, and that's the key to... Uh, I don't know, maybe failing forward rather than failing redundantly. 
God, I hope not, because I can't really monetize that. <laughs> so <laughs> for me, it's it's about <laughs> what, what else? I mean, I think there are really practical things we can do. We can provide a, a white space outside of Basecamp, Trello, Jira, Asana to think and then to import some of these actionable items back in to your project management software. I think that's really super uh, helpful. I also think a recommendations engine, which is where my mind goes to, is also helpful because why are you paying consultants out there when a lot of the knowledge is amassed, right? And if you've already started to retrain your brain to have better and more authentic conversations, maybe you can continue the action and continue solving your own problems. So I like that a lot. Um, but I don't know. I mean, this comes with incremental testing. So a little bit of development, a little bit of testing, then a little bit of refinement, then a little bit of development, right? I mean, this is this is a journey of a lifetime and um, helping people really solve their own problems goes against, I think, common business sense and capitalism, <laughs> but I believe in it. And so I'm doing it. Uh, if I could hack away a solution that just, you know, provided like a consulting service to provide better conversations, I would do that. But you know what? I don't scale. And that's been one of my personal lessons in my career I can only do so much. And so I think where I end and where glitch path begins becomes kind of interesting for me. So, yeah. That, that's, that's fascinating. So, so I, I just want to double back because you said something like you have to shed a certain range of things to get back to having authentic conversations. Is yeah, that... the employment experience, yeah, beats you down. And you and I both know that firsthand working in the human resources and technology industry, right? You come in with all of these good intentions. You're a strategic optimist, which is, you know, a real phrase that psychologists use. You don't believe in failure. You think you can outwork a problem. And by the end of your employment experience, you're a pessimist. You're doing worst case scenario thinking and you've got a sense of learned helplessness. I mean, it's, it's no joke, what the workforce does, I don't know, to the human heart, the hope. It's kind of sad. So, so Glitch Path is a hope restorative. Is that fair? <laughs> God, that sounds like some hippie product that you would love, John. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, I can't sell a hope product. But I can, I, I can try to get somewhere in the middle between pessimism and optimism, right? There's a dial, and, and maybe what I'm trying to do is get everybody kind of reset around a five. Interesting, interesting ambition. So you went to a conference last week in New Orleans? A couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about that. I went to what thing, that? Yeah, I went to this thing called Collision Conference, which if you're a fan of um, Silicon Valley on HBO, it's like – a TechCrunch disrupt on steroids. So there were 20,000 people there, uh, you know, early stage software, people who've been funded Series A, a couple Series B. And there's a lot of, uh, it was very hyper-masculine, a, a lot of confidence, and a lot of startup companies with names that didn't have any vowels. <laughs> right. Just insane. And a lot of stupidity. I mean, a lot of... Uh, I think the intersection of capitalism and confidence really breeds a personality type that's just fucking stupid. And uh, I, I was just amazed 
at how much money has been burned on really bad ideas. And there's this mantra, right? Like you have to do this, you have to, you have to fail. And I think about all the money that could be applied to really important things in the world, like, you know, water crises and refugee crises. And here we are burning it on a bot that can shop for you. You know, it's just so, so infuriating. But all right, that's the game. That's the game I'm in now. So, yeah, that was Collision Conference. So so what did you see that turned you on? Well, you know, I sat through um, a panel of VCs, and they were on stage talking about how they fund companies and the new model to fund companies. I was actually inspired because uh, there was a, a gentleman on the stage who talked about how if you're a founder, you need to inflict your product on the world. And I've been doing that, John, for 10 years, and it's painful and, you know, I've been through periods where nobody takes me seriously or people take me too seriously and too literally. And it's really frustrating. And I'm sick of inflicting my beliefs on the world. And yet it kind of restored hope in my path. Like, yeah, man, I'm on to something. And whether or not credible, air quote, people believe me or not, I don't give a rip. I'm going to do this. And so in that way, in that one moment, I was inspired. But um, I saw a lot of people talking about space. And and that's cool. I mean, you can be like Elon Musk. That's great. But you're not Elon Musk. And so that that was disheartening, because I think we have a lot of things about our planet, you know, that we don't know anything about. And yet here we are, ready to ditch the planet and go to Mars. It's really, really disheartening. You know, anyway, you asked me what I liked and I ended up with what I didn't like. So I I didn't like a lot of the conference. I would say it wasn't for a practical, mature, middle-aged woman like me. That's not the audience. Wow. Did you ever think you'd be somewhere and describe yourself as a practical, mature, middle-aged woman? That's that. Yeah. Yeah, I did. In fact, I felt like a practical middle-aged mature woman even when I was in my authentically punk rock days when I was 17 because I always knew no one was going to take care of me except for me, right? You know, self. uh, I was responsible for regulating my own emotions. I had to keep a small footprint. Like, I I knew these things about me uh, at a very young age, but now I'm here. (laughs) It's really interesting. So, yeah, we could talk about that some other time, maybe in therapy. Okay, well, let's talk about that some other time. But let's go back to Glitch Path because it's such a great idea. And the obvious Aww, question is, is what mistakes have you made in Glitch Path? And, and, and how did you, you know, this sort of the meta question about Glitch Path, how did you apply the, pro- the process and principles to the company itself? Yeah, well, you know, I've done a glitch path on glitch path about 75 times, okay. maybe more. And I've, I'm on my second round of like development and a development team because um, the first round of uh, my full stack developer and my UX and UI designer were people that I didn't know and were referred to me. And as much as it pains me to say this, when you're creating a company from scratch, you've really got to like the people you work with. And I think likability is one of these things that's applied incorrectly in the workforce, and it results in like sexism and ageism and discrimination and ableism. But in an early stage software company, you you really do need to like the people you work with. And uh, 
that was a big lesson for me. So now I've got a team of people around me that I like, and things are infinitely easier, and we've got enough friction and enough differences and opinion to keep things interesting, but not so much that we're not moving forward. So that was really that was a really important lesson for me. What an exciting update. So so you get around the world a lot and you are a speaker and writer. Um where are you speaking this? Where can people catch you? Oh my God. Um all right. Uh, where am I speaking? That's a good question. I haven't thought about my calendar all day except for this. Um, I will be at Work Human in a couple of weeks down in Arizona, which is Global Force's big uh, tada about recognition and being human in the workforce. I've worked on that conference for the past couple of years, and I really enjoy it. And I'll be out and about and. I think I'm introducing a panel, but I'm not exactly sure. But I'm also at Cornerstone On Demand's conference called Convergence, and that's in early June. And I'm doing a couple of Facebook Lives with industry notables like Josh Burson and Jason Corsello and Molly Lombardi. And we're talking about the future of work and employee engagement and all the kind of buzzwords that go with that kind of conference. But I'm really excited because Cornerstone is one of those companies that's attracting a ton of talent. So great people are joining that organization and have joined that organization. Uh, I, you know, I, I really respect that when my near and dear friends are saying yes to a company, that's kind of cool. So I'm interested in uh, going down and learning more about Cornerstone and their future and facilitating some great conversations. So I think that'll be fun. So yeah, those are the two most immediate things. Fantastic. So, so thanks for doing this. It's been a great conversation. I'm excited about Glitch Path. Would you take a moment and reintroduce yourself? Tell people how to get a hold of you, where they might find Glitch Path. You know the whole, the whole. Let's find Lori. Where in the hell is Lori? Yeah, yeah. It's hard to spell my name. So thank you for that. Um, All right, everybody. I am Lori Rudman, writer, speaker. uh, I don't know, entrepreneur. I guess. And you can find me at my website, my personal website, which leads you to everything else. And you can go to worklifecats, okay, worklifecats.com. And that opens the door to my startup company, to my social media channels, and to my blog, where I basically just talk about myself. So, yeah, it's great. It's a really ringing endorsement. But I love uh, new readers, and so hopefully if you're a new reader from this podcast, let me know. I'd love to meet you and learn more about who you are and what you're doing. So that's it. So thanks. Thanks. We've been talking with Lori Rudiman, who is um, iconic in her approach to (laughs) developing herself and the business world around her. Um, If you haven't if you haven't followed her and pay attention, you ought to pay attention. Thanks again for doing this, Laurie. It's been a treat. John, you're amazing. Thank you. All right. You've been listening to HR Examiner's Big Ideas, and we've been talking with Laurie Rudiman. And for those of you who have the same level of trouble spelling as I do, her last name is R-E-U-T-T-I-M-A-N. No, it's not. It's not? <laughs> oh, Rue left French Street. R-U-E-T-T-I-M-A-N. See, now you're going to be M-A-N-N. confused. <laughs> M-A-N-N. Two T's, two. Oh, that's, that, that's a curse. Laurie is easy to find, and, and you will enjoy the flow of content that comes off of her desk. So thanks again, Laurie. Have a great yep, love day, you very everybody. Much. Thank you. And, and we will talk to you next week. Bye-bye now. 
HR Examiner's Executive Conversations are sponsored by Movala, the leading communication and execution platform that introduces accountability to the workplace to boost productivity and engagement so your teams can work smarter, not harder. Learn more about how you can experience a smarter way to engage at movila.com. That's M-O-O-V-I-L-A dot com. (laughs) 